to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now here's lead pastor, Chris Starr. This morning, a message that I've entitled Seeing God. And uh, I think it's a message that we really need to hear. It's apologetic in nature. So you got to get your thinking caps on, kind of challenge you today. Thank you very much, Lance. And John chapter 14, and uh, hopefully this is something that you can take and use as well. So, you know, if you're sharing Christ with somebody or you're having a conversation with somebody, I want it to be the, the kind of thing where you can, you can utilize this. So it's John chapter 14, beginning of verse 7, okay? And just keep your Bible open there. Here's the background. Um, Jesus... It's the eve of his crucifixion, and he's giving his disciples his final words before he's going to be betrayed and arrested. So this is really, really important. And here's what he said. And just really pay attention to this. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Now, that's really important. If you want to know God, you, can, you just know Jesus. That's my whole message. I'm going to preach my message before I preach it. Is that okay? So here it is. If you know, he said, if you know me, you know the Father. All right, and from now on, you know him, and you've seen him. Think about that. You've seen God. That's what it says, right? Isn't that what it says? You've known him, and you've seen him. He's talking about himself. Okay, that's powerful. That, that's a mouthful. <laughs> Have you ever thought that the disciples were knuckleheads? They were knuckleheads. He just said to them the obvious. Philip speaks, and here's what he says to him. Lord, show us the Father. I can see Jesus going, come on. Were you not paying attention, Phil? What did I just say to you? Lord, just show us the Father, and that's enough for us. That's all we want. We want to see God. Look what he said. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you've not known me? Philip. He, this is my message. He who has seen me has seen the Father. Okay. So how can you say, show us the Father? I've been showing you the Father for three and a half years. Now this is really deep. This is good stuff. I'm going to come back to it. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does the work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. And so I'm going to come back and, and, and talk about that in a minute, okay? Have a seat. Thank you for respecting the Word of God. It's good we respect things in, the, in this day and time, right? All right. Has anybody in this place ever heard the old saying, seeing is believing? You ever heard that? Yeah, that's been around a long time. So basically what that means is you need to see something before you can accept that it really exists. All right? Seeing is believing. Um, when someone says this, what they're requiring is what scientists call empirical evidence. Empirical evidence is information acquired by observation or examination, and it's kind of implied that it's through the five senses. Okay? So seeing, hearing, whatever. So you gotta have, the only way I'm gonna believe this, I have to have empirical evidence. There is an example in the Bible of this, uh, and it has to do with Thomas, who is one of the 12 apostles. Jesus rose from the dead, 
And he shows up that very day, Easter Sunday, in a room where the disciples were. I preached on this, I think, last Sunday, remember? And just poof, appears. And Peter has already encountered him. Peter's tried to tell him that Jesus is alive. They don't believe him. So Jesus appears. Thomas was not there. Thomas missed church. This is why you can't miss church because Jesus might show up and you're gonna miss your blessing. Man, I feel better getting that out. Okay, so you gotta show up to church. Thomas misses church. Jesus showed up, he missed his blessing. So Thomas comes back later and then now the other 10 say, dude, like, you know, they said dude back then. Dude, you missed it. And he says, well, miss what? Jesus just showed up. He's alive. Now, here's what Thomas said. Uh-uh, I don't believe it. You, you calling us liars? Yes, I am. I don't believe it. And then this is what he said. I need empirical evidence. Unless I see the nail prints in his hand and touch the nail prints and put my hand in the side where a Roman soldier thrust a spear and ripped open his side, I will not believe. See, Thomas needed empirical evidence. So for a lot of people, that's what it takes. Now, the reason I'm talking about all that is because we're talking about seeing is believing. There are two questions that, that a lot of people ask. It might be, there may be two questions that everybody asks. Here's the first question. Is there a God? Is there a God? I mean, I, I figure everybody asks that. Is there a God? Does God really exist? And if you ask that question, then it leads to other questions. So if he exists, where is he? What does he look like? What's he thinking? How long has he been around? That opens up a, a whole plethora of, of other questions. Does God exist? Here's the second question. How do I know that there's a God when I cannot see him? Pastor, you're supposed to help our faith, not shake it. Well, we're going to shake it a little bit today. How do I know there's a God when I cannot see him? This is an important question because if seeing is believing, then if I can't see him, how am I going to believe? And you can have kind of a reverse empirical evidence and research is, is if seeing is believing, then not seeing means I'm not believing. That if I'm not seeing God, then I'm not going to believe that he exists. Now, this kind of thinking works really well, especially if you're an atheist or a communist. Because atheists and communists typically don't believe in God. And that's kind of their thing. Let me tell you a story. On April uh, 12th, 1961, a cosmonaut, Yuri Gagarin, Russian cosmonaut, Yuri Gagarin, became the first human being to go up into outer space and to orbit the earth. It was widely reported that Yuri Gagarin said, I don't see any God up here. Now, that's what was reported and said. And some of you who are older, you probably remember that time, okay? I'm not that old, but I, don't, I wasn't even born. But that, that was a big deal. Let me just tell you, that's an urban legend. Just like we kept a transcript of what our guy said, one, one small step for man, one giant leap from step for mankind, whatever, you know. We have all the transcripts. They have the transcripts of what the cosmonaut said in space. He never said that. There's no record that Yuri Gagarin said. However, the leader of the, of the Soviet Union, Nikita Khrushchev, okay, who was a full-blown communist, kind of the, he was Darth Vader during the Cold War, okay, all right? We were the good guys and he was Darth Vader, all right? He was, like, he was a really bad dude. He was at a communist party, anti-religious 
propaganda meeting in Russia. And this is what he said. And so it's most likely he's the one that he said, why should you clutch at God? Here is Gagarin who flew into space, but saw no God there. So see, if you're a communist and atheist, then that's the thing. We, we went up into outer space where God's supposed to be, and Gagarin didn't see any God up there. So if you don't see God, there must not be a God. All right, let's talk about us, because I know that the vast majority of people in this room are followers of Jesus Christ and believers. Here's what I want to say in case you're not. Being unable to see God with our physical eye or to prove the existence of God by seeing him with the physical eye creates absolutely no crisis for those of us who follow Jesus Christ and are born again. And here's why. Because the Bible tells us that nobody can see God. Moses was probably had... The, the tightest relationship with God of anybody in the Old Testament other than probably Adam and no, uh, Abraham. Okay, the Bible says that Moses talked to God, God talked to Moses as a man speaks to another man face to face. You can't get much closer than that. And so he, has, he hears from God, God gives him the Ten Commandments, God gives him all the Old Testament. I mean, it just, it's, it, this guy was like this with God. They're up on Mount Sinai, 40 days, 40 nights, supernatural manifestations, God speaking to him, he's writing down, getting all the law, whatever. And in a moment of all this God interaction, he's hearing God, he's hearing God, he's writing down. Moses in this moment just cries out, Lord, show me your glory. Show me, I wanna see something. I wanna see you, just show me, I hear you, but I wanna see something. And in Exodus chapter 33, verse 20, as close as God was with Moses, this is what he said to him. You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. So we don't have a problem with not seeing God physically because the Bible says that that's not something that man can do. Now, if you're sitting there, I'm gonna go off on a little tangent right here right now and use some $12 words. You may be saying, all right, pastor, I've read the Bible. There are a lot of times in the Bible when God shows up and people see things. So how does that work? Well, let me talk about that. There were, let's talk about this first. So, you know, what's going on here? Well, let's establish this. God is a spirit being, right? John chapter four, he's with a woman in Samaria and he said, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God does not have a corporeal body like you and I have, a material, physical body. He is a spirit being, okay? As a matter of fact, God fills everything. Reality is God, because God is all in all, okay? So that'll mess you, right? Your brain just went, what do you mean reality is God? Well, if God is God, God's in charge of everything, then God's everywhere. He's omnipresent, he's, he's everything, he's everywhere. If you find a place where God's limited and he's not, he's not God. Right? So God is a spirit. Yet there are times in the Bible when God manifests in ways that are not spiritual but seem very physical and tangible. So let me use some $12 words. There are times that um, biblical writers utilize what is called, you ready for this, anthropomorphisms. That's a $12 word. Okay? 
And anthropomorphism is where a writer in the Old Testament would speak of God in human terms to describe his actions in ways that we humans could relate to. So the Bible talks about God having a face or eyes or ears or hands or feet, but the reality is God is a spirit. He doesn't have a face or eyes. Or, I know right now I say, wait a minute, God doesn't have a face? No. No, he doesn't. Okay. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. Isn't that a great verse? Okay, that's what, you know, the eyes of the Lord. That, well, Pastor, see, God has eyes. No, that's not, God doesn't have eyes. God's a spirit being. What that means is that's an anthropomorphism. The writer is using that to describe God, his ability to see and his ability. It means God sees me everywhere I go and God hears me every time I call. And I can relate to that because I have eyes and ears. It helps me to understand God. The writer in Psalms said, heaven is God's throne and earth is his footstool. As if God is sitting up on a throne in heaven and he's got his feet crossed over, propped up on planet earth. Now that's, that's poetic verse. It doesn't mean that God has feet and that the feet is his cushion or the earth is his cushion. What it means is that God is in heaven, but God is also in earth. You can't confine it to one or the other. God just fills everything. His presence is everywhere. So these times when these, these, these human body descriptions are used are anthropomorphisms. It, they're just ways the writers are using to help us understand God and his nature. Now, there's another um, way that, that, that God is described in the Bible, and it's called a theophany. There's your other $12 word. This is where God would interact with people as a theophany. He would give a visible display to humans that expressed his presence and his character. So if you would read the Old Testament in Genesis, like in Exodus actually, where the children of Israel were going through the wilderness to go to the promised land, and they would travel by day, God would manifest himself as a pillar of cloud by day, this massive cloud pillar. So in the day when, he, when they traveled, they would follow that. At night, he would manifest as a pillar of fire. You say, well, why would God, and it would light up everything like daylight. You say, well, why would God need a pillar of fire at night? You ever been in a desert? It's cooler in the evening than it is in the day. So sometimes they would camp in the day, but then they would travel at night, but how are they going to see? God's so cool. So God would give them a big giant nightlight. And they would travel. But it's, God isn't a giant pillar of fire. That's a theophany. That's how he expressed himself. Moses is in the wilderness, minding his own business, tending sheep. He looks over there, and there's a burning bush that will not consume. And he encounters God. God's not a burning bush, but it's a theophany. Now, let me, can I really mess with your head? There have even been times when God in the Old Testament came down in human form. There is a very fascinating story in the book of Genesis of Abraham, who is, has his camp set up, and in the Arab culture, in the Arabic culture, when you have a guest, you go overboard to take care of your guests to the point of sacrificing. Like if you don't have enough food but for three people and you have two guests, you don't eat, you make sure the guests eat. It's a very, very important part of Arabic culture. And so these three men come to his camp and Abraham then goes into servant mode, has Sarah cooking a meal, sits down, he's, and the longer he talks to these men, it becomes apparent to him, Ooh, wait a minute, these aren't, these aren't normal. These aren't normal humans. There's something different about these. And you know what? Two of them were angels. 
Two of them were angels. We know why. How do you know that? Because if you read the story, they're the two angels that went to Sodom and Gomorrah because God was gonna burn Sodom and Gomorrah up with fire and brimstone, okay? And they're going to check it out. And Lot was there, Abraham's nephew, foolish. By the way, don't hang out in places where there's perversion and sin and sickness. That's, that's, that's something you should stay away from. If you're in the middle of it and you're choosing to be in the middle of it, that's your fault, not God's. You ought to have more sense than to do that. And so they're in the middle of that, and he's living there, has no business living there, but he's in the middle of living that. And God, Abraham, meanwhile, talks to the third person and quickly realizes, oh, this is God. And he begins to intercede for his nephew, talking to God who's manifested as a man. That'll mess with your head. Some of y'all just going. Well, then, pastor, does that mean God's a man? No, he just, it was a theophany. For the moment, to interact with Abraham, he revealed himself, manifested himself as a theophany. Here's one that's really, really cool. There's this, there's this guy in the Old Testament called the angel of the Lord. Now, there are angels of the Lord, angels of the Lord, little a, lowercase a, and you see them all the time in the Bible. And they do the work of God and they serve God. Never will receive worship. You ever try to worship an angel in the Bible, in the Old Testament or New Testament, they will stop you immediately. But this angel of the Lord with a capital A, he receives worship. And he has power. And if you study the Bible, the angel of the Lord is actually God. So there are times when God would manifest not just as a man, but he would manifest as an angel, a mighty angel, an angel of the Lord. And by the way, if you study it, the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. So you say, okay, pastor, so these people were interacting with God in ways that were physical and tangible. Yes, but that wasn't the essence of God. They were manifestations of God. God is a spirit and you can't see him. Now this leads me to the third question from my message that we're, gonna, we're just gonna flow with this and end on it. Here's a question I have. So if you, a follower of Jesus, cannot see God, why do you believe he exists? Why do you believe there's a God if you can't see him? I know you people right now are going, Pastor, what's the answer? <laughs> well, there are answers, but I mean, just right now, I need to make you think. Now, I could give you answers that Christian philosophists and apologists have come up with, and they're really good answers. For example, there's one called General Revelation, and this one's in the Bible, that the heavens and the earth themselves, nature itself, reveals the glory of God. The psalmists talk about this. In, in Romans chapter one, Paul talks about that the invisible qualities or traits of God are evident in creation. Chuck Colson, who, uh, who, who did uh, prison fellowship, did a, a ministry of prison fellowship, a ministry to, to people who are in prison, was part of the Nixon administration. He was the ax man for the Nixon administration, went to prison over Watergate was a hard man, talked about in his book, Born Again, where he and his son were out on a boat one day in the lake, and he didn't care about God, didn't believe in God, didn't know, just nothing. He was a totally ungodly, ungodly man. But he said he had this fleeting moment that he never forgot that while he was out on that boat, everything was just perfect. He's sitting there, it was just like a perfect moment, and all of a sudden this thought came into his mind, there must be a God. He said, I don't know where that came from. But he said, everything I looked around, he said, I just did this moment where I thought, there must be a God. God is revealed in creation. So we could talk about that. You look at how everything perfect is in nature and everything structured and organized, and then you think that that all came out of chaos? Isn't it sad that our kids have to go to school and are forced to listen to evolution and the Big Bang Theory when it is a bunch of junk and lies? 
Now, if you say, no, how do you think you know that? Here's what I want everybody to do. I want everybody in this room to go home today, get your skillet out, get your nonstick pan out, get you two eggs, throw some butter in there and scramble those eggs as well as you can. Scramble it up, mix it all up. I mean, scramble it up, throw it in there, mix that thing around and tell me if a world comes out. That's the kind of faith you have to have to believe in the big bang. The closest I can come to a big bang is God said it and bang, there it was. That, but I don't even believe that. I just believe God said it and there was no bang. It just was there. Okay? And so here it is. It takes more faith to believe that than it does to believe that God, there is an originator, a creator, a, a great designer of all of this that we have within the complexity of the human body. The complexity of the plants, the flora, the fauna, the fauna. Listen to me. You have to, you just have to know there's somebody had to create and design all this. Okay, how about the universal moral standard? Did you, did you ever notice just around the world, doesn't matter where you go, people know that there's right and wrong. We may not agree on it. People may violate it, but they know. Have you ever noticed little children? Little children, they, they pick up fast. You do something that somebody else gets, and they'll say what? That's not fair. You ever notice little kids say that? Oh, y'all are little children. That's not fair. How do they know what's fair and what's not? How do they know about equity and inequity? It's because it's built in. Because we are made in the nature of God, in the image of God, rather. And so there's something within us that knows that there's right and there's wrong. That Well, that screams that, that there is a God who put that there. If not, we should be animals. My dog doesn't know right or wrong. My wife thinks my dog's going to heaven. I've had my dog snap at me too many times to know my dog ain't going to heaven. <laughs> I pet that thing, take care of that thing, feed that thing. Leah won't give him table scraps, but I do. I feed him all the time. But oh, you let a piece of paper with some crumbs get on the ground and I reach down to get it. <laughs> Kick you across the room, you stupid little dog. Bite the hand that feeds you. He doesn't know right and wrong, right? How do you bite the hand that feeds you? They don't do that. Dogs don't know right and wrong. Animals don't know right and wrong. How come we know right and wrong? Because we're made in the image of God. And there's a God that made us. I, I, could, I could talk about the necessity of an uncaused cause. Everything has a cause and effect, cause and effect, cause and nothing is here. Random. Everything is here because something caused it, Right? I'm here because my parents caused me and they're here because their parents caused them and they were there because their parents caused them and my great-grandparents caused them. You just keep going back, 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 back. Everything has a cause. Everything has a cause and effect, cause and effect, cause and effect. You cannot have an infinitesimal number of causes and effect as you go backwards. Eventually, you've got to get to a stopping point where there is an uncaused cause. And his name is God. I could talk about all that. But that's not why I believe that there's a God, even though I can't see him. I believe there is a God because the greatest evidence to me is the person and the work of his son, Jesus Christ. That's right. Jesus is enough for me. Jesus claimed to be God, claimed to be the son of God, and he backed it up. Look at his miraculous birth. Look at his sinless life. Look at the countless miracles he performed that had to be done by a divine being. Look at how he forgave people of their sins. And they were changed. 
Something happened inside of them. Look at the resurrection that, that happened to him. Look at, the, he raised a 12-year-old girl from the dead. He raised the only son of a widow from the dead. He, he resurrected his best friend Lazarus from the dead. Only God can do that. He backed it up. Now you say, well, wait a minute, Pastor. I don't believe the Bible. You just, you read all that in the Bible. Well, here's the thing. You're gonna have to get settled. The Bible's true. Now, if you're not gonna believe the Bible, then you might as well just sit there and get on your phone and Google something or play Candy Crush because the starting point is the record we have. But there is more evidence that the record of the Bible is true and correct than any other work of antiquity. And you can trust Matthew, you can trust Mark, you can trust Luke, and you can trust John. You can trust what they wrote about Jesus. They had no reason to lie. And if you presented the evidence in a court of law, a judge would say that the evidence demands a verdict that Jesus is not a liar and he's not a lunatic, as C.S. Lewis said, C.S. Lewis said, but he is truly Lord and God. So the evidence that the Bible says and the things that they tell about his life, I have no reason to doubt these people. Especially if you can get four people to tell the same story and not sitting in a room writing it all down together. Four, if you put four different witnesses on a stand that have not colluded or collaborated and you let them and they all tell the story with various shades of differences, any judge will tell you those, that's, that's, that's about as good a testimony as you can get. The Bible says establish every, every testimony uh, with two or three witnesses. God gave us four. So he lives this life, backs it up, yet on the eve of his crucifixion, his closest disciples are still unaware of who he is. Philip, show us God. Jesus said, if you've been with me, you've seen God. Now, I know I told you, God said to Moses, no man can see my face and live. Yet, through the incarnation, men and women saw the face of God in Jesus Christ. So, I've never seen God with my physical eyes, but the reliable witnesses have seen Jesus. They have verified that he is the son of God, and because of their testimony, being God's son, I am assured that he is who he says he is. He is God. There is an interesting verse. Evan and I were recording our podcast. And by the way, thank you for all of you who are listening to our podcast. Let's talk about God. Thank you for listening to that. And if you're not listening, I encourage you to listen to it. We were recording again our, some more podcasts this week. And in the course of that, Evan used the scripture. And while he's doing that, and we were in the microphones and it's recording, I thought, oh man, I wrote, the, I wrote that down. I said, ooh, I gotta use that. He, he made reference to Colossians chapter one, verse 15. Paul wrote this. Listen to what Paul said about Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Hey, how, how, come all you, how, how come all you believers believe? Because we believe Jesus is the image of the invisible God. I looked up the word image because I want to make sure I understood it. In the original language, it means Jesus is the visible representation and manifestation of God to you. Jesus is the visible representation and manifestation, visible Visible, by the way, you can see him. Visible representation and manifestation of God. How am I gonna see God? You gotta look at Jesus. That's why I entitled this message, Seeing God. If you wanna see God, you just look at Jesus because he was God. And then I looked up the word invisible because I knew there had to be some deep meaning. You ready for this? It means cannot be seen. Wow. So can I put those two together? Here's the point. Jesus makes an invisible God 
visible to you. That's cool, isn't it? Oh, come on, you're Pentecostal. You can do better than that. Jesus makes an invisible God visible to you. So if you want to know God and who he is and what he's like, this is what Jesus is saying is what the Bible tells us. All you have to do is just look at Jesus. If you want to know what God's like, just look at Jesus. Now look, here's the reality. I still cannot see God and I still cannot see Jesus. Jesus lived 2,000 years ago, died, rose again, showed himself alive for 40 days, went back to heaven. Numerous places tell us that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So here, for those of us in the 21st century, I can't see God, you can't see God, I can't see Jesus. So the issue of the existence of God definitely requires faith. Jesus knew this would be the case and that's why I told you to keep your Bibles open because three times in this little discussion with his apostles, he used the word believe. Verse 10 and then 11, believe, believe. Believe. It takes believing. Can I go back to the story of Thomas? This is really powerful. So Thomas misses church, misses his blessing. Jesus shows up. He could have had something special. Don't miss church. That made me feel good again. So the apostles are together for another time, and Thomas makes it. Thomas is there. Poof, Jesus shows up. This is during that 40-day period. He ignores the other 10 and immediately walks right up to Thomas and says, Thomas, here I am. There they are. Touch them. Go ahead. Stop doubting and believe. Y'all seen the commercial with the GMC tailgate that has all the multi-things? And so every time it drives by the car lot of another, another brand, all the tailgates go poof. And all the people go, and their jaws drop. I love the one where at the end where that guy's jaw drops and his wife goes. Because that's what Leah would do. She'd put it up, baby. Get it up. Close your mouth. Going to attract flies. Close your mouth. I think that's exactly what Thomas did as soon as Jesus appeared and Thomas went, did the double take and said, never, by the way, never touched him. He wanted empirical evidence, never, never got that far because he saw him. And he said, my Lord and my God. Now watch this. I'm going to say something that I said in the first service. I don't know if I've ever said this, but I'm going to say this. I believe it. I mean it. I think what, what Jesus said next is one of the most important verses in the Bible. Now, how's that? How's that for throwing something out there? So I'm going I'm to go ahead and throw it out there. I think what Jesus said next is one of the most important verses in the Bible. Here's what he said to him. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's powerful. That's powerful. Because what Jesus was saying was, I'm going away. It took empirical evidence for you, but I'm not working... I felt the Holy Ghost right there. I'm not working on empirical evidence. I'm not trying to do it your way to satisfy you. You're going to do it my way. Because I'm going to give you a testimony and a gospel. and I'm going to give you a revelation. But you're going to have to choose. Are you going to trust what I've given you or not? Are you going to trust me? 
Are you gonna believe in me? And that's what he said, blessed are. You know why we're blessed in the 21st century, 2,000 years later, a plus not just us, but millions upon millions upon multiplied millions of Christians all over this world because we have read the gospel and we have heard the story and we have encountered him even though we can't see him and he has changed our lives and we believe. We still believe. It takes faith. So what are the, what, how, what's the faith? I'm closing with this. Here's the faith, and I, I'm, I'm not even gonna preach this because I already talked about it. You have to trust the record of those reliable witnesses, okay? So we've already talked about that. That's a starting point. That's ground one. Two, you have to trust, now this is, this is deep. We're gonna, get in the, we're gonna get in the nine foot end of the pool right here, okay? Jesus did this on purpose. I'm gonna tell you what Jesus said and talk about it. I'm, I'm, I'm done. He said, you have to trust and this is what you have, to, you have to trust that God was in Jesus and Jesus was in the Father. The Father was in Jesus. Jesus. Now, now already, that's, that's deep. Now we're getting into the Trinity. Now we're talking about how there's one God but three persons. We don't serve three gods. That's polytheism. We are monotheists. We believe in one God, but there are three persona. Try to figure it out. Mess up your head. I keep preaching all dad's material. Dad's gonna say, I can never preach here again. But my, I've said this, Dad, I've quoted Dad for years. Dad said, if you don't believe it, it'll blow your mind. But if, I mean, if you try to understand it, it'll blow your mind. But if you don't believe it, it'll blow your soul. So you gotta believe it. So we don't understand Trinity, three, but God, three and one. So they're one. So what he's trying to say is, listen to me. I've said this before. Let me teach it again. The incarnation never subtracted from the deity of God. Jesus was 100% God. It was never the subtraction of his deity. It was just the addition of humanity. That's why Jesus was the God-man, 100% God, 100% man. And by the way, he has kept that humanity, which is pretty cool, but he's in a glorified state now. Yes. So now you can see God. Yes. You know what Jesus did by dying, coming to this earth, dying, rising again? He has made it where now you can look God in the face. Yes. Yes. And live. God was in Jesus, Jesus was in God. Now, this is deep stuff. The Father was in Jesus, Jesus was in the Father. Listen to me, Jesus was more than a Jewish rabbi. He was more than a religious agitator. He was more than a prophet from Nazareth. He was God in God and God in him. And every word he spoke, he spoke as he was inspired by the Father who was in him. That means that the word he says was the word of God. Are y'all getting this? If God was in him and he was in God and he was God, then every time Jesus, that's why the words in red are in red. Because it is the word of God. That's why Jesus could rightly say, you have heard that it was said or written, but I say unto you. Because he was God speaking to the word of God already established. He had the right to do that. That meant his word had power and his word had authority. Y'all, that's why when he said, be a good cheer, they cheered up. And that's why when he said, fear not, the fear went away. And that's why he looked at the sinful woman caught in the act of adultery and said, your sins are forgiven you. And her sins were forgiven her. And she was not guilty. And she stood in right standing with God. And I'm telling you, I'm going to preach right now. 2,000 years later, he's still God. And his word still has power. And when he speaks, things still happen in the lives of those who believe in him and trust in him. 
When you're down and he says cheer up, all of a sudden something changes in your inner disposition. When you were overcome by worry and anxiety, but he says, I got this. Stop worrying. Let me take care of it. Everything goes. Have you ever noticed that? It just goes away. And you're like, you know what? I'm not going to worry about it anymore. God's got this. Everything that you face in life, when you hear the word of God, thank God when I fail and when I don't get it right and I sin, the Bible says if I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me. And where sin abounds, grace does much more about. And he says, you're forgiven. Thank God I'm forgiven. When he says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you, I've got the assurance he's right by my side. Whether I'm up on the mountain or down in the valley, whether I'm in the middle of a spiritual battle, when I feel like everybody has forsaken me and nobody is standing with me, honey, I still got Jesus on my side because he's already spoken it and he will always back it up. Hallelujah. He still speaks. He still communicates. So you have to trust that he, you know, and that's what Jesus wants. So he said to the apostles, trust me because I'm in Father. The Father in me, get, you, get your faith up here. Come on, y'all, get up here. I know Jesus is God because God was in him. God's still in him. He's God. So if I want to know God, just look at Jesus. That's what he wanted. But he had knuckleheads. And if you read it, it's right there. It's right there in verse 11. <laughs> that's how I want you to believe. That's, that's, that's ultimate belief. Come on, guys. But if you can't get up there, then at least get down here in ground one and believe that I'm God for the sake of the works that I do. Just look at my life. Look at what I've done and know that only God can do that. You ever think about all that Jesus did? He opened blinded eyes. Who does that? God. Unstopped deaf ears. People couldn't hear. They can hear. Who does that? God. Cleanse lepers. They didn't have the medications like we have today, the medicines. If you were a leper, man, that's a bad existence and you're going to die. A horrible death of suffering. And yet Jesus would encounter them and sometimes even touch them. Leprosy's gone, skin like a baby. Who does that? God. Heal a paralytic. A paralytic. Somebody who has incredible neurological damage, cannot function, may have atrophy in his muscles because of lack of use for years and years, and yet God totally hears, heals it. That person neurologically heals the nerves, puts sensing back into it, feeling back into it, heals the muscles, removes the atrophy, gives them strength again. If they've been sitting around, they don't have the sense of balance, gives them back their inner ear. And the, the man in, in Acts chapter three who got heals went walking and leaping and praising God. Who does that? Who can do that to somebody? God takes bread and fish and feeds 5,000, turns water into wine. Who does that? God cast out demons, destroyed the works of the devil, Resurrected a 12-year-old girl, the widow of the son of Nain, his best friend Lazarus. Every miracle he performed screamed, Jesus is God. And I'm going to tell you all these years later, they still scream that Jesus is God. You ever wonder why we, when we ask for things, we do it in the name of Jesus? 
Because if we can get people focused on Jesus, then they'll find God. Because he is the image of the invisible God. And so when we pray and somebody hears us pray and then God answers our prayer, then they start focusing on Jesus because Jesus is the hope of the world and Jesus can be the savior of the world and Jesus is the center of my joy and Jesus is the center of my life. Stand with me. I want everybody in this house to come with me down the altar. I want prayer team members to go ahead and come up here and turn and face the front if they would. Y'all, he still works today. Do you hear me? I said, he still works today. How do I know God is real? How do I know Jesus is real? Because I'll ask him for something and nobody can change it. Nobody, the bankers told me no. The attorneys told me no. The judge said no. The doctor shook his head and said, we're out of options. The pastor can't do anything. The church can't help me. Nobody can help me but God. Nobody can help me but God. And I pray and I cry out to him. And lo and behold, things start happening. And the power of God comes in. And things reverse and turn around. And I didn't have anything to do with it. And everybody who's watching, all they can say is, it had to be God. It had to be God. I'm telling you, he still works. He still works. He still heals. He still delivers. He still gives strength to the weak. He still gives courage to the fearful. He still gives encouragement to those who are discouraged. He still gives sight to the blinded eyes. If he needs to, he'll raise the dead. My friend George Botain came from Africa to the Bible college where I was. And George, their country had had an upheaval. They were killing people left and right. And they were killing all the young men that had been connected with the former administration. George had been part of that. And anyone having to do with Christianity, they were killing them. George and another man had broken out. of. They had been wrongly imprisoned. They had broken out of the prison. They were trying to escape. They had to run across a compound that, had, that was lit and had guards. And George and his friend, his friend said, George, what are we going to do? And George said, we prayed. And we said, oh God, you opened the eyes of the blind. Now we ask you to blind the eyes of those who can see. And they said, in Jesus' name, we're trusting you. And they said, they took off on a full run across that open compound with guards staring straight at them. And they never saw them. God blinded their eyes and gave them a miracle so he could escape and come to America. Don't tell me there's not a God that still works. Don't tell me God can't do what God can do because God is God and he still touches and here's what it tells me about God God just doesn't just communicate through Christ but it shows me he cares every time he touches you it means he cares so for the rest of this service if you're here this morning I want to give a two two pronged approach in this altar call you fight your way through a crowd if you have to these sweet people let you through But if you just say, Pastor, I've got a need. I need God to be God in my life. I'm in a situation where I need somebody to lay hands on me, pray with me, agree with me. I need Jesus to show up. I want you to work your way through this crowd, even right now. Second is, if you've been in a tough place, if you've been in a tough place where you say, 
Pastor, I've just doubted the existence of God. I've been going, it seems like the heavens are brass. Seems when I pray, nothing's happening. I don't feel anything. I've been in a faith crisis. I need somebody to just pray with me so that I can be assured one more time and know that God is God and God is real. I want you to come up here, okay? Come on, one, two, three, go. Just start moving up here. If you need prayer of any kind, whatever your need is, go to these prayer partners. They're going to pray for you, these prayer team members, okay? Come on, right now, Father, in the name of Jesus, give us the faith to come forward and have our needs met. I want everybody's need met. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, sing the song. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.